Good afternoon, everyone. Glad you could join us today. I'm Tom Suter, the founder of ATARC, and you're here today for the DevOps during the pandemic era. It should be a great discussion today. Uh, we're looking to kick things off with Nick Shalon, the Chief Software Officer of the Air Force, and then we'll have a panel discussion. Uh, we plan on having a few polls, and we're going to open it up to questions. So we're really excited about today. And uh, before we get started, I want to thank the GitLab team, Helen Ortel and Tracy Robinson. Uh, they've been a great partner. I remember when they started their, uh, I know when they started their practice, they had one person like two years ago. And it really tells you about the growth of DevOps. And I think they're over, up to over four, 50 people now. So I was just in prep, prepping for this uh, webinar. Uh, I was looking back for ATARC about how things have changed so quickly. And uh, I just remember we had our DevOps summit on March 10th. I had a double look that to make sure that that was actually, what, five weeks ago. We got 250 attendees at that show. Uh, the only thing we talked about pandemic was we were elbow bumping. It was uh, just fantastic times, uh, great times. We actually had a happy hour. I didn't realize that was going to be the last happy hour I would attend, and I haven't even gone to one since. If we, uh, if we think back on it, I think it was that Wednesday that the president addressed the nation and we realized the severity of what was going to happen here. And uh, by March 12th, I think if we actually had the summit on that Thursday, nobody would have showed. So that tells you a little bit about how things have changed. And um, I, I've talked to a lot of people in the government, and I think that people were in three different groups uh, post-pandemic. The first one was the, the folks that actually had a robust telecommuting program. I think that they might have been in the best shape. Uh, you know, maybe tweaking up their VPN licenses, adding some bandwidth, some minor tweaks. We've had other groups that have been some telecommuting, uh, mostly at the office. I think they've had some additional struggles to, uh, to maneuver. Uh, some of them didn't have laptops. Some of them didn't have telecommuting. Uh, a lot of their roles were in the office. And then the intelligence community and parts of the DOD is you're working behind a skiff. So how is that going to really affect how you're, how you're going to work? But, uh, we're really, really lucky today to uh, get uh, Nick Shalon with us today. And uh, he actually presented at the DevOps Summit. And boy, things have changed, Nick. And uh, glad you could make it today. I know you're really, really busy uh, with handling all these things pandemic. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, everything changed. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see, like you mentioned, that was also my last engagement uh, with you guys. So, uh, yeah, it's a different world now. Uh, and, uh, you know, one thing that's uh, very interesting for us has been the fact that uh, uh, DevSecOps has been the, the prime enabler uh, to be able to move at the pace of relevance in this new uh, new situation with the virus. So uh, I'll share a little bit of uh, quick stories. And I, I also wanted to point out a couple of slides, but again, I'm going to stay off the slides most of the, uh, the the discussion here. And again, I do I have 20 minutes? Is that what I have? Just want to make sure. And you're muted. Sorry, Nick. Yeah, uh, take the full 20, and hopefully we have some. T you have some time for questions at the end. All right, sounds good. Um, so uh, just so, you know, to, to remind people that if you're looking for uh, any of our documentation or code, everything is on the website. So again, everything we do is is uh, 
usually back to the open source community. So we're trying to give back, including uh, the Mattermost uh, deployment we're going to talk about today as well. Uh, so you can see here on the software.app.mil uh, slash dsub slash documents uh, site, you're going to see the, the link there uh, to our training, to uh, the repo of containers and, and all the good stuff we're doing. So again, I wanted to uh, to make sure people had access to, to the links. Uh, that's where you're going to find all the source code and everything we, we're doing. I'm not going to get into too much of the uh, the boring uh, usual slides. I, I want to try to cover more of the the reason why we've been able to move so fast. And Platform One has been empowering a lot of the teams across DoD and even outside of DoD now. We have dozens of agencies starting to look into the stack side of DoD um, to be able to piggyback on the work being done. And really, uh, I think that the number one thing is to have that central team that's able to bring enterprise services. Uh, one of the most impressive story I've seen is uh, the deployment of our chat. Uh, we had the need uh, starting March you know, 13th, 14th to deploy Mattermost, which is a, an open source uh, chat option to be able to do that at FOU level. And many of the, the team members were uh, sent home overnight, um, many times without a, a GFE device, so no, no government laptop or anything, and many times without a CAC uh, or PIV uh, reader, so they, they couldn't authenticate to many of the, the DoD systems. And uh, of course, we didn't want to send them back to go get laptops or, or CAC readers. So the, the team was able to spin up in literally 28 hours since I said do this to uh, to the time it was accredited and up and running, uh, a chat on Mattermost, uh, accessible without a CAC, but yet bringing a ton of security uh, and multi-factor authentication and, and making sure that we can onboard about 40,000 people uh, to, to bring them on that chat uh, within days. And uh, within 28 hours, they had the, the chat up and running, uh, completely containerized, passing the, the duty requirements thanks to the, the Platform One uh, container hardening team that was able to take the container and get it approved. Uh, and so that's been really a, a prime example here of the value of, uh, of DevSecOps. And uh, having a central team that's able to spin up uh, such service, uh, we started with a chat and then we we added more and more services. We were launching uh, Jitsi, which is a, a VTC option with video chat and screen sharing, very much like Zoom, but it's hosted on our cloud, on Cloud One, so we can go a much higher level of, of uh, classification levels. Um, and so that's been a, a great example, again, of uh, the ability of a pipeline to take uh, the source code and deploy this inside a, of our cloud on, on Amazon GovCloud and spin it up and, and scale with containers uh, to 40,000 users overnight. And uh, we have more than 500 teams uh, uh, even outside of the Air Force, this is being used by uh, by teams across DoD, including uh, SecDef uh, and, and many other teams across DoD. And so that's that's been very interesting to me as a as a story. One because uh, you know the, the containerization aspect and the ability to spin up uh, containers and auto scale uh, based on the workload and uh, the traffic. I, I see a lot of people have uh, issues in terms of uh, uh, scale and like you said, you know, VPNs and other things. 
becomes bottleneck. And so uh, we created the first cloud native access point, uh, which we got accredited. Uh, and the cloud native access point is uh, enabling teams connect to the cloud without having to go through the tech or through uh, uh, the, the DOD access point, cloud access point on premise, which, uh, you know, is not elastic on the cloud. And so we, we build this cloud native access point uh, to be able to connect directly to the cloud. Um, so for people remote, particularly, they don't have to, to VPN uh, to their base or to the Pentagon to be able to connect to the cloud. So that, that removes a massive impediment to connecting to the, the stack. And so things like that become, you know, uh, pretty uh, obvious when you're trying to scale to, you know, 650,000 airmen, for example, and obviously even more if you count all of DOD and the contractors. So uh, really important for us that the, the architecture is becoming uh, cloud native and elastic. Um, so the platform one team is really bringing these enterprise services and centralizing these capabilities across not only uh, the big programs like F-35 and Aegis, but also uh, dozens of uh, software teams. Um, so that's pretty enabling uh, research and also uh, startups. And I think there's a great vision there uh, to enable teams, smaller teams to, um, to use Platform One to get their software accredited, uh, particularly startups. So it's removed the impediment to, uh, to work uh, and partner with DOD and bring commercial capabilities to, uh, to the DOD. So we have dozens of uh, companies now, uh, about 80 plus companies sending us containers automatically, and we accredited them all the way to uh, the highest uh, classification levels uh, centrally across DOD. So that, that alone has been, a, I think, a great success story to be able also to onboard tools and capabilities uh, within weeks. Um, so that's what we, uh, we use to, to move fast. If you, if you look at the, the, the breadth of, and the, the size of the teams, we have all these cool names. And in the past, they used to all have their own platform and their own tech stack. And now with Platform One, we can finally uh, centralize that work and empower all these teams to focus on their software mission uh, and really not have to reinvent the wheel so they can move fast and benefit from reciprocity. Um, so as you can see, we have we have dozens of teams all over the U.S. Uh, so we can assign work so the space camp guys can focus on space stuff and so on. And then, uh, you know, if you look at the layers, and again, I think that's, again, the value of the way we uh, not only accredit the software, but also the, uh, the, the DevSecOps uh, pipeline, uh, streamlining the, the NIST compliance. Uh, if you look at all these layers, uh, we end up with less than 10% of the controls left at the application layer. So that makes it very easy and quick to accredit. If you have single sign-on and all these cyber uh, controls, both in terms of uh, zero trust, uh, behavioral detection, uh, and CV scanning that we bring with uh, our continuous monitoring stack, uh, you end up in a situation where the, the application layer is, is really left with very little to do. And that has been empowering the teams to move very fast. Um, in this case, again, Mattermost in 28 hours was up and running with thousands of users uh, consuming the service. Um, and that tells you kind of the, uh, the ability of uh, uh, spinning, uh, spinning up and down uh, workload and auto scale based on the, the demand. Uh, that's the beauty of containers. I think a lot of people still don't understand that uh, 
Kubernetes, particularly, uh, that's why we picked uh, Kubernetes as the platform layer. Uh, so it auto scales and brings that baked in security and enforcement uh, at the platform layer while being agnostic to the cloud provider. And so really, I think that's, uh, that's why we were able to even do what we did, but also thanks to the incredible people we have uh, to get this done in, in 28 hours again. Uh, but again, if you look at the complexity of a pipeline, if you were to deploy all these tools without containers, you would end up having to update all these tools manually in dozens of environment and classification levels. You just would not scale. And so uh, by having the central repo, we call it repo one, uh, for the source code side and Aaron Bank for the, the, the binary side that signed containers. Those repos on the website that I, I showed you before, and anyone can go and download the containers. Uh, so please don't hesitate to do that. Also contribute back, you know, containers to us as well. You know, we have teams sending us uh, containers. It's a two-way street. Uh, so then we can scan uh, anything that can be enterprise related. Of course, we don't, we don't just take containers from the mission side. But any anything that can be shared across teams, we're we're getting you know containers from dozens of teams now, uh, and commercial companies. Like I said, any any commercial product that can be containerized can also be sent to us. So it can be accredited, uh, DoD wide, uh, and that's how we end up having a lot of the tools you see here as a this example of a pipeline, whether it's uh, you know uh, Jira, GitLab, uh, GitHub, and you know whatever tools teams end up picking. The goal for my team is to be able to bring options and everything is containerized and easy to update and it's self-update, self-heal. And so that's been a prime enabler of the success of the, the adoption for platform one. So it's not a one size fits all. You can think of these containers as Lego blocks that can be swapped for the teams to be able to, uh, um, to reuse uh, these capabilities. Um, even if it's uh, uh, a need of duplicating the same environment on the classified side at different uh, at different classification levels, uh, and really, uh, once you have that ability, you you use GitOps and uh, uh, you know infrastructure as code, and really that's kind of the evolution of DevOps um, and brings kind of uh, uh, this concept of everything is is code and um, everything is in your source code repo uh, to make sure you have uh, full compliance and audit capability of your, your stack and push button deployment. And really, uh, if you think of disaster recovery now, you, all, you only have to back up your source code repo and your databases, and, and now you can deploy the environment anywhere you want, <laughs> even tear it down every night and bring it back up every morning if you want. Uh, that brings really the ability to have this replication and automation. Uh, and also it reduces, of course, the, the cyber risk because we uh, we pull from Git, uh, and so it's, it's a pull and not a push. So there's no ports open in production. So uh, that's been also uh, the reason why we can accredit things much faster by reducing the attack surface from the get-go. Um, and so if you, if you look at the kind of the benefits of, uh, of that is one, no drift between environments. So if I want to deploy the chat on multiple classification levels uh, on class secret TS and so on, I can push button deploy into multiple environments, whether it's on-premise or on the cloud, and get that, that kind of uh, uh, immutability and replication. And of course, everything is automated, so no human in production. Uh, that reduce inside of threat and also reduce uh, mistakes. Um, and of course, the attack surface is 
is very small as you don't you don't have any ports open in production for anyone to connect, no SSH, no nothing. Um, and everything becomes code. And so you can audit your code and you know your desired state. And by having multiple set of eyes on code and having multiple approver to approve code code mergers, um, we know uh, that we uh, we can trust uh, the, the code state and do change management uh, properly as well. Uh, so that's really kind of the, the key the key benefits of the stack we, we deployed. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of give you some of the insight as to how we were able to uh, deploy Metamos, uh and, and many other services now, um, in, including uh, the, the source code repo and all the stuff we do with complete automation and uh, happy to answer questions. There's a Q&A box, so I guess if you want to ask questions, uh, yeah. you can always use that. Well, Nick, <laughs> yes, please put some uh, information in the q and I've got, I've got one comment. It's like great to see some Star Trek. You guys were running out of Star Wars terms. You know, Kobayashi and Maru, <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that one. Uh, one, yeah. one question I have is one thing. Can you touch on the BOA process? That's a very interesting process, that basic ordering agreement. You know, I look yeah. at it as this contingency, it's almost like contingency contracting. Um, if you can shed some color on that, I think that's a pretty innovative approach that you have there at the Air Force. Yeah, I think uh, what we wanted to do for Platform One was to be able to empower teams to get access to a full stack. And that includes, of course, the acquisition of the cloud resources, licenses, and, and talent that's needed to, to run the stack. And so uh, what we ended up doing is to set up the, the basic ordering agreement, uh, like you mentioned, the, it's a DevSecOps contract vehicle that we, we stood up uh, in 45 days, another example of uh, the use of Agile uh, in contracting as well. Um, and now that we have this awarded and we're gonna keep onboarding, by the way, more, more teams. Um, and I, I have a slide on it, I'm gonna go to the slide. Um, so you can see kind of the, the point of contact there, but um, we can now uh, provide access to cloud services, to, to talent and licenses, all usually within 30 days, maybe 15 to, to 30 days per order. And we can buy in bulk and uh, we can provide access to pretty much any tool, any license, uh, but also uh, services, whether it's uh, people, talents, maintenance, support, uh, cyber, you name it, right? Anything that's needed. Right. So, so a program can come to Platform One and get a, a kind of a turnkey deployment of all of that stuff. That's fantastic. We've got a, a question from John Farrell. How's the United States Air Force and DOD addressing the migration of legacy software systems to this new cloud architecture? Yeah. So, um, and I, uh, so, so yeah, so, um, the legacy is obviously everywhere, right? And so for us, we, we use what we call the, the strangler uh, pattern. And I, I won't have time to get into all the details of the strangler pattern, but uh, we have a whole training on that, uh, which pretty much the, the key concept is to say that uh, we strangle the legacy uh, and refactor the code by improving and not just by spending three years rewriting it, right? So the, the key uh, result is continuous delivery of new capabilities while refactoring the code at the same time. So you strangle, you take pieces, but you don't just spend three years rewriting the same stuff. You're adding features and prioritizing what you rewrite based on the features you need to add so the end user sees improvements and Congress doesn't put your funding. 
but you end up refactoring the code at the same time. So it's a, it's a very interesting way. I think it's the only way to move from legacy to DevSecOps. We have a whole training on that. So uh, on the website, there's an Ask Me Anything recorded uh, session on the Stranger patterns. So I recommend people to go in and watch that uh, video um, so you have a little bit more detail there. Okay, great. Um, we've got a couple questions around this uh, platform run, this roadmap to platform one. Are we going to be able to maybe get these slides out, Nick? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you guys and we'll, okay. we'll show you it. The, the whole slide deck is on the software.ad.mail website uh, under the DSOP uh, document page. So everything we do is there anyway. Okay. And, and, and how are you addressing uh, just code quality? I know this is like contingency co coding almost. Uh, what, what, what changes when you have 28 hours to produce something? Uh, has anything changed or uh, how, how, do, how do you address that? No, so we, you know, we didn't really quality. set a timeline. Right. We, we didn't really set a timeline, right? We, it ended up being 28 hours, but uh, we didn't say, hey, you have 28 hours. We said, hey, you know, do it. <laughs> uh, it happened to be uh, 28 hours, but it could have been five days. Who knows? Uh, in this case, it was, it was 28 hours. Um, I think it, it, one, it was pretty simple, right? It's a, Metamos is a, a simple application. I mean, it's just one app, um, so it's not rocket science, but it, it was still complex for the scale, right? If you were to run this on VMs and not on top of the architecture that we have, and I see another question kind of tied to that, Platform 1 was not created for COVID, right? Platform 1 was created before that, so we're, we already had that for you know, maybe six months, um, so we didn't build the whole team and <laughs> all that in, in, uh, in, in during the 24 hours. That's that's why we were able to move so fast, right? And I think uh, uh, every agency should have uh, a team like that, right? That that's able to provide enterprise services to the rest of the agency at scale uh, with DevSecOps pipelines. Platform One didn't have to spin up dedicated cloud environment, dedicated. Uh, platforms. We have uh, our cloud already accredited so we can spin up workload. We segment it. We have different VPCs and, and all the cyber stuff, but it's very simple and, and push button deployment so we can spin up a whole Kubernetes cluster with all the cyber stuff, you know, um, in, in an hour, uh, thanks to full automation, yeah. right? So once you have that investment made, uh, it's very easy to replicate. And that's, you know, at first it costs almost more money and time to build it with infrastructure as code. But that's why the, the return on investment is when you stop deploying it a lot, right? Uh, not having to redo that work manually 20 times and have drifts between all your environments. I think that push button deployment is, is game changing for us. Great, great. And uh, somebody asked something about the, what are you calling the chat tool? Yeah, so the, there's two two things, right? So Mattermost, uh, Mattermost, M-O-S-T, uh, is a chat, uh, Mattermost. It's an open source uh, tool. There's also a commercial version as well. Um, it's very very similar to Slack, but it's on-premise. So I can run it on my cloud, which was critical for us okay. for, for accreditation and accessing more higher levels of uh, classified uh, data. So Mattermost is the name of the chat. Now, we also deploy Jitsi, which is... J-I-T-S-I, -I. Jitsi is a VTC tool that does very much like Zoom, right? Uh, video, uh, screen share audio. Uh, in fact, it, it looks exactly like Zoom, uh, but it's on-premise. It's also open source, 
And uh, the only difference, you don't, you don't get a phone number, so it's all voice over IP. Um, you could tie that to audio uh, IP phones, but not, uh, not a phone number. There's commercial version also that could bring you a phone number, but we just use the open source version. So we, we have a voice over IP on mobile and laptops, uh, but we don't have a phone number to dial in. That's fantastic. I think uh, one thing I would like to know is what is the biggest surprise? What is the, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of surprises. What are the, you know, it's almost like you were building this whole agile uh, DevSecOps platform for this kind of a disaster. Uh, but what has been your biggest surprise, a couple big surprises in the last five weeks? Well, I think you're right. I think it's not really just for this kind of disaster. I think it's, you know, for us being uh, in the war business, you know, you never know what can happen and you have to be ready and, and preparedness and uh, being able to react in a timely fashion might be the difference between, uh, uh, you know, life or death, right? So you, you need to be able to move at a pace of relevance and, and people often forget that, right? So timeliness, I think, is very critical. Even in cyber, right? If you can update stuff quickly, that might be the difference between getting hacked or not getting hacked, right? So, um, so it's great to have uh, change management and all the the governance and compliance, but if it's a trade-off to your pace and your uh, timeliness, uh, that could actually be a bigger risk than not having governance and compliance, yeah. right? So there's a balance there. Right. Um, so um, the biggest surprise I would say was um, the that you know, first it was a little bit faster than I thought we would be able to do stuff, uh, <laughs> uh, and the pace was a little bit better than I thought. But also, um, you know, there's these pros and cons, right? I think uh, people um, need to get their job done, so they many many just went and you know spin up stuff on on public clouds, and and of course you end up with shadow IT and, and issues in cyber there. So again, that's why also these enterprise service matter and and Deploying it fast is critical, right? The fact that we had Mattermost up and running in, in, in 24 hours versus, you know, three or four weeks was probably the difference between having ton of data leaked on WhatsApp and Signal and Facebook chat and whatever people were using uh, because they have to get their job done, right? So um, I think uh, that was critical uh, to be able to move fast. But, you know, you still see egos get in the way and people still want to use their own things and and that's that's okay to a point, right? At some point, someone has to show up and say, that's it, you know, yeah. you're going to use this. And we have to be careful, right? One size fits all is never the answer, but also you do need some enterprise, uh, uh, you know, services that are funded and maintained and sustained. And today's a fine line. My take is I always try to bring two things, two options. And, uh, you know, if it's cyber tools, we probably have 20, but, you know, some things, at least two, never one. Right. Um, so that's kind of the, the way we do it. Great. Well, thank you, Nicholas. It's been very, very informative, and, and thank you for your service. Uh, it's a good thing you did all this work over the last couple of years because it's now you're seeing it in action big time. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And just for your, your group here, tomorrow at uh, 1 p.m., we have an Ask Me Anything session of two hours uh, where I answer questions, and I know we had plenty of questions here I, we didn't have time to answer. So if they're willing to join us tomorrow, it's on the software.meal website on the event page. We have a, a Zoom session where people can come and ask, ask me more questions on the tech or whatever they want to ask. So it's going to be tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Okay, we'll be sure to get that out with our outputs today, and that'll be right at the top of the list. Awesome. Thank you Thank for you having me, guys.
Thanks. Okay. And we're get it, we'll get the next panel going. Uh, I think we're time, Maddie, who's uh, working behind the scenes here, helping us put this together along with Kirsten from my team. Can we put the first poll out? Is that possible? There we go. Okay. Uh, the hosts and panels cannot vote. That's what we see. But we want to try to uh, do a quick poll if, if, if we can get folks engaged. Uh, please answer real quick. We're going to take these. Uh, we've got over, I think we've got like 200 participants on the, on the uh, almost 200 participants on this uh, webinar. So this would be a very good represent, representative example across government and industry. If you can uh, answer this real quick. For some reason, the hosts and panelists cannot vote, so don't feel, um, to my esteemed panel, don't feel like you're left out. All right, we'll give it another, this shouldn't take too long, Maddie, so can we show some results? So, yeah, we've... Uh, ATARC, as many of you know, a lot of you have been to our events in the past. It's been a very big challenge for us. I mean, we were in events, primarily events, and now we're going completely virtual. And, you, and you'll be seeing we'll have a lot of these interesting webinars. I, I, I'm liking the format, uh, but we're also going to have a virtual event, which is our first foray into that. And we're going to cover cybersecurity. We're going to cover DevOps. We're going to cover cloud and infrastructure, digital. That should be uh, a great event. We're going to do that on, on June 11th. I'm sure you'll get an email or 10 from us. So can we get the poll results? Here we go. Been teleworking for years, 53%. We've settled into it. A large shift we're adjusting, still having difficulties. Uh, interesting. Uh, has your team had the same amount of output since the teleworkship? More productive, we've stayed the same, slightly less productive, and we're overall less productive. Interesting. Any anything? Uh, any takeaways from my uh, esteemed panel there? If you guys want to unmute before I introduce you. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's a positive picture. It, it paints a fairly positive picture. It does. Really interesting is probably the amount of learning in government. Um, right. Right. Ed, any, any comment to that? Was that surprising to you, knowing your agency? Um, from my standpoint? Uh, no, we've been... Yeah. Uh, I work uh, for 18F, which is within GSA, and 18F yeah. is naturally just built in as remote. Um, and so it was just uh, another day. Um, but uh, I've heard, heard from friends elsewhere in government um, that had, uh, I, you know, uh, others have, I think, talked about it already. Just those with uh, a robust telework plan uh, mm -hmm. probably had the least amount of change. And, and I've heard there was some stuff they had to work out, especially around um, probably the... Uh, anything with more robust processing or storage that they were uh, trying to do on-prem, right? Um, right. But then I've heard from other friends that were working in the SCIF, et cetera, just, um, yep, uh, difficulties that way. So, yeah, 
sure there's yep. lots of learning. And, and, <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to be, I, I just, you know, we just kind of do this thing, but uh, John, I'd really be interested to see from the commercial side is how does that match up against the commercial side? I know you have experience across public sector and the commercial side. Is that what you expect or is it a little different or what, what, what's your experience? Tom, I, I would tell you that from, you know, I'm a GitLab and we're, we've been practicing this idea of being all remote for a long time. There's, you know, while there's 50 or 60 of us working in the public sector, there's 1200 of us, we're all remote. We're doing video conferences and chats and we're doing this all the time. So for us, we would be way up at the higher part of it. But as I talk to the my counterparts in commercial businesses, you know, this has been a transition for many of them. They were used to coming into the office and now they're having to adapt. So I think it's, it's probably very similar to what we see in this poll. Yeah, it's different. I mean, they, in the public sector, you know, in commercial, we don't typically have skiffs. Uh, it's typically not something we would have to manage. But yeah, but yeah I think it's very similar. Right. And Edward, any surprises from you on this or did it follow with what you were thinking? We had to adjust a little bit, but I mean, overall, it's been pretty smooth. Um, most of our, the Department of Transportation has everybody at least on one telework day as an option, or a lot of people sign up for it. So, you know, it was more about just setting it up for a larger scale amount of people to be using the services. But I felt like the CIO shop for the main department did a great job of just moving forward and getting us up to speed for that. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So we are going to go back to our, our plan here, and we're going to start off with Brian Fox with AT&F. And, uh, Brian already is remote. He hasn't been in Washington, D.C. He was, I think we had our, our DevOps kickoff and uh, he was, he's out in Denver, Colorado. So Brian, welcome and uh, look forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, thanks for uh, putting this together and, and bringing us together. Um, it's, it's a very relevant discussion these days, right? Just um, how folks are getting along and how technology is playing a role and helping us get along and deal with it and uh, maintain some productivity. So yeah, just some of my deeper thoughts um, as far as DevOps and the response to COVID and what, what I've seen from my seat uh, at ATF, um, as well as conversations with uh, colleagues in government. Um, I, I tend to think, you know, DevOps is really just agile on steroids with the cloud being those steroids, right? So agile plus cloud, yeah. it's DevOps. So what I've noticed is DevOps and cloud and agile has enabled COVID response in a couple of ways. First is the ability to address social distancing in the workplace. And the second would be the flexibility, speed and robustness to technically lead in an effective response. So just around flexibility, speed, and robustness. I think just the agile work method, which is very, it's not top down, it's not directed, it's flat. It's very team oriented and it's about transparency and like vulnerable sharing. And, and that, that is great on just a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but in the midst of a crisis, I think it's, it's critical. It's, it's definitely the best way to manage a crisis. And so with with Agile really preaching the, the scrumming or the huddling, right? That every morning you come together, quickly describe what's necessary, possible, what's a priority and what's blocking you from progress. And within you know, that sprint planning, um, 
constantly examining what the organization's priorities are, I think is critical. Um, Nick, it was really interesting uh, hearing from Nick and what the Air Force has been going through, but then also what they've done here very recently. And, you know, I think he described it well that that agile methodology allows you to, you know, plan out a bit, but then when something hits that you have to deal with, you can, um, you can do sprint planning and deal with whatever the, you know, the crisis du jour is and, and, and mitigate that. Um, overall, right, it, it addresses, Agile addresses the feedback from users um, and the ability to respond to that new organizational needs, like a, responding to uh, COVID, whether it's a new COVID website or giving your own organization the tools it needs uh, to get productive in a new way of working. So for those folks that were used to coming into the office, how are we gonna you know, kick everybody back home uh, and, and you know, what tools do we need to do that? I think Agile in general allows well yeah. for that kind of discussion to happen in a very productive way. Um, other things, right? Just talking about the cloud, um, the ability there to do A-B testing to ensure your new applications are working. Um, to the ability to launch those applications, those new applications very quickly, uh, rapid delivery of all of that, uh, thanks to automation, those CI, CD pipelines and DevOps that are typically up in the cloud. Um, Agile has a feedback loop that's typically a week or two, whatever that, that sprint length is, right? It, it gives feedback to the team. I think with DevOps, it's the ability to shrink that even shorter to get that feedback much more quickly. So that uh, is gonna have, I think, an exponentially um, uh, more positive benefit to an organization. The faster they can get that response of a new website, for instance, that's uh, related to COVID, that's, that's good for the organization. It's obviously great for the users. Um, uh, with the cloud, you're never down. Uh, so for some government offices, I'm sure, uh, Tom, you were talking about how things changed overnight to think about demand for government services that uh, there was probably some government websites that one day were pretty sleepy and the next day they were getting hammered, right? Yeah. Um, so with the cloud, the ability to scale and pay for just what you need, um, but also make sure that the user is going to get what they need. So it's like all three things there, I think are critical. Uh, the ability to patch, fix and update and upgrade. Uh, make that transparent to the user. Um, all in the midst of the pandemic is going to be, you know, extremely critical. Um, so that's all just around speed, yeah. flexibility, and robustness. As far as that social distancing, kind of the second point, and social distancing and productivity, you know, if you've been operating in an office environment, you're going to be pretty dependent on geographic density for productivity. Right. So those tools associated with DevOps, like Slack, cloud hosting uh, of data services, et cetera, allow you to be anywhere and yet be really effective at work. Um, the ability to work together uh, despite dispersal. Um, and obviously, it, it, none of it matters if you can't provide those services to the public yeah. and users. Um, well, with a oh, real quick well, one question I have for you. Yeah, yeah go okay, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, just. No, uh, just I, I, it just came to my mind. So I, well, yeah, I, go shoot, shoot. I, yeah. So I'm like, I, I know a lot of development shops inside of the government. They have maybe their blend of contractors or, and, and uh, feds, but sometimes they're co-located. 
So what now that they are not co-located, what specific approaches they need to take? Because I, I think that's beyond telecommuting. That's it's like how do I collaborate now? Yep. Um, Steve Jobs called it the collisions, right? At Pixar, and he he drove a particular train of thought and vision as far as to facilitate those geographic collisions in a building, right? I, I remember in the biography, he yeah. thought over only having one bathroom so that everybody would have a chance to meet and mingle. So how do you do that if you're virtual? Um, and, and I think that's the critical role of um, some of those tools. Nick was talking about it. And so uh, like friends of mine over at DOI that are migrating from Google right uh, here over the past few months to Microsoft. I told them to be really excited about Microsoft Teams because it's a Slack-like tool that allows, and, and the, what's, what's powerful with, with Slack or with Teams is the, the ability to create those uh, platform channels that it's, it's kind of interesting that Slack is kind of like a channelized communication kind of like a platform, right? the ability to create those threads that folks can join in, they can read the history on, unlike an email. And um, for to, uh, those teams and organizations to allow the creation of a lot of uh, those channels, it may be, uh, in, in the case of uh, my organization, ATF and TTS, uh, Technology Transformation Services, there's threads going right now, or channels on how are you coping with COVID? How are you uh, working as a uh, uh, parent, um, as well as all of our, you know, organizational right. mission, and the ability to create what would or recreate virtually what would be happening around the water cooler? I think is critical. Um, and uh, but doing that well, you need that bubble of psychological safety, so folks are willing to share and open up online and. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question, Tom. I think, I think, I think you did. That was great. That was fantastic. Edward, you want to chime into this conversation? Thank you, Brian. Well, well looking at the keynote, I, I thought that was really great. Um, you know, it, it is about the platform for us too. We have one that we call the transit integrated application development platform, which is what we use for our external users or our customers to be able to interact with us. And, you know, as part of that platform, the strategy is using DevOps to accelerate bringing new things onto that platform as fast as possible. And so when I, when I think about platforms too, you know, for a long time I was trying to rationalize or understand what they meant. Um, they've been around for a long time. They were more for products. So product platforms were, I think, what was really big. In particular, I remember reading a case study about um, Black & Decker in the 1970s and how they ended up dominating the entire market for power tools because they realized instead of building individual things for every single power tool, what if they created product families or platforms for their tools and instead of having 50 different engines, they really only had one engine. And then if they wanted to scale that engine up to be like twice as fast, they would just put two of those engines together which is the same exact thing you see with the Tesla car. And how this relates to the IT world is that we have all these pieces that we need to be reusing from a system to system, right? When you look at the infrastructure piece of it, that's usually the easiest area of commonality. 
Identity management can be another piece. And then the other things become more and more challenging to do because they can be more specific to different organizations. But, you know, when you look at, you know, that infrastructure piece and you're talking about that horsepower, putting two engines together is creating more scalability. And that's the way it is when you look at a user base. And if you have more and more users going on to something, if you have a piece that's really scalable, then you can allow more and more to come into it and you can just adjust up. And so, like, you know, you take those ideas and you apply them to what you're doing inside of your infrastructure. And that, that's where you get that value of the platform. Is It's the platform with DevOps and the ability to rapidly put things into place. We've been um, working with containers. I, I think um, Nick's a little bit further ahead. As the Department of Transportation, that's something we're actually doing as a whole. So DevOps has been... Um, Pieces of it have been put in place in NHTSA. They've been put in place in FMTSA, the Federal Motor Carriers. We've been working with the department. We're looking at doing a consolidated Jenkins and having like a container marketplace for everybody within the department to use, stuff like that, to standardize that infrastructure the way that Nick was talking about. You know, um, when I, I think about it, one of the areas that I think wasn't talked as much about was we focused a lot on the infrastructure side of things. And so I, I'm not going to talk as much about that, but then there's also the software delivery piece of that. So, you know, you can automate building up these environments. You can create a lot of scalability through automation and things like that, but then you can also deliver things faster, but you know, that, that is a little bit different of an investment. So when I look at like my whole infrastructure and creating commonalities and things like that, I, I think that's in, easier area to invest in because you're just like trying to standardize and deal with your commodity ID, IT and make it cheaper and more consistent. But then when you look at applications, they all run on different cycles or different cadences and they have more needs depending on the, or different needs depending on the types of users you're dealing with. So when I have high usage applications that I'm constantly deploying on a week by week basis, new features and things like that, that's where I'm going to more heavily invest in other DevOps tools, such as automated testing or dealing with more performance testing on a week-by-week -week basis. Whereas if I have something that I'm only updating once a year, it's going to be less worthwhile to deal with those types of things. But then again, like the other issue with that is that puts me at risk because of, you know, one of the things that Nick was highlighting is one of the most important things when you're dealing with a DevOps strategy is making your GitHub the source of truth. In the ideal world, I want to like have this source of truth that I can pull from and now I can get the latest code, be able to rely on my automated tests and all that stuff. And so the more frequently I'm validating that my Git is valid, then I know I have a source of truth. You know, and then you, know, you have the automation of the way that you're dealing with your software. You have the automation of your infrastructure. And then what you have all around supporting that is some of this knowledge management stuff that Brian was talking about. And you know, um, for us, what we do is we use um, some tools like Atlassian for JIRA and things like that. So a long time ago, we decided let's get out of the business of like doing things via email. Let's get out of the business of having phone conversations or side conversations. Cause you know, if we're building something, like if I'm building a drill and I decide to make that drill have like a eight foot long drill bit, I need to understand why that decision was made. And I don't want to go through emails and search for the person who was in yeah. that discussion to figure out why that decision was made. So we started using these collaboration tools and making sure that everybody was talking within the context of 
the particular changes we were doing. So we have, you know, tickets that track changes of things, and then we keep all of our discussions there. And so when this virtualized world we've been dealing with came about, it didn't really impact the way that we were collaborating on changes. And then, you know, Agile, of course, with some of this other stuff, was around to support it too. So since we are doing things on two-week cycles, it was very easy for us to split off and reprioritize things as they came up with the changing of the guard or the new world we're dealing with and some of those types of things. It's at a high level, I think that's the way I look at it from our department's point of view. Does Great. that make sense? Yep, that, that's been fantastic. And uh, last but not certainly not least, uh, John from sunny Florida, I believe, right? It is sunny Florida, but it's uh, raining today, which we, boy, we, we needed the rain. So I'm, I'm happy to get a little bit of rain. So Tom, I'm going to go quick and I want to make sure we have time for Q&A. Uh, I'm going to underline a couple of things. What, what Edward was just talking about, about documenting things is incredibly important. And it's one of the lessons we learned as we adopted an all remote format for our company and as we've grown we've gone from 200 people when i joined two years ago to 1200 today we've doubled twice more than doubled twice in my tenure here and it's amazing i've been working remote for 10 years gitlab's been doing it ever since we started and we're around the world and so here's some of the lessons learned we had one it's about process and culture and the tools you use and you want you want to make sure you have those in place and, and we, we heard about that today right edward talked about that uh we we have you have to have the the mechanics and brian as well about how they're doing it at 18f the, that has to be there documenting everything we have a handbook as our single source of truth we put everything into our handbook it's public it's open you can read it you can even edit our handbook if you like if you think we have a typo we're open to you making suggestions as well but it's it, but that's how we learn that's how we get better we share we collaborate and that's part of what this is all about and and it's having access to the right tools and zoom being one of them we document everything all of our meetings are structured with a living document where we live edit our meetings we live edit the agenda and we live edit the notes as we go it's incredibly efficient it's one of the things we try to focus on it's how we've learned how to work together uh, we, we really work on tools so we can share and, and just like we were talking about earlier with Edward about having that history of what happened and why yeah. as we work on these issues we work on these things asynchronously having that history to be able to go back and understand why did we make that decision and then we can learn from it going forward and we, we really spend less time continuing to making mistakes over again. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the chat, which is a link to a, uh, a report we published. It's a 36 page handbook. We, we took from the handbook and we wrote this playbook on all remote. It's all of our lessons learned. It's some of the things I covered here. I'll put that in the chat. If anybody wants to go, you know, grab it and download yeah. it, you could. Uh, and the last thing about being the water cooler, you know, I think Brian mentioned that about you know, doing those things. We do those a lot. You know, we're, we have a kid's juice box chat because our families are now home with us too. So we bring our families in and we get on Zoom and the kids have fun with Zoom and you know, chatting with each other. And so that's natural to what we do. And, and the last thing we're going to do later today, actually, our team and marketing, we're going to do, do a virtual happy hour. We do them all the time, but this one's going to be different. We're going to live stream it on YouTube. So if anybody checks me out, I'll put my Twitter handle also. If you check me out, I'll tweet when it goes and, and you can come uh, see what a virtual happy hour looks like, at least the way we do it at GitLab. So that's, I think, it for that. I'd love to answer questions, though, and share with anyone else what we've learned yeah. at GitLab doing this. Yeah, it's like you got the virtual Margaritaville shirt on. So, you know, you got the, that, uh, you're in the spirit. It's definitely five o'clock somewhere pretty soon, I think, after, the, after this webinar. Uh, 
maybe we can, uh, Maddie, maybe we can sneak in a, neck, a poll question really quick. And this, uh, this handbook we'll, we'll put in, it's in the chat. Don't worry, we're gonna also attach it to our, uh, get this out uh, as part of our deliverables today. Uh, Maddie, we have time for a quick poll and then we'll get to some questions. Okay, I think I know the answer to this. I don't want to sabotage the poll, but. That's the first rule in polling. You don't do what I just did. Okay, we'll do this one quick, Maddie. Okay, this is another one. Okay, how's your organization adjusting to security and COVID-19? This is a good one. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Do it while you have them. Let's go uh, make these public, Maddie. There you go. So fairly even, I don't know. It goes back to what we were talking about before, I think. So I don't know if there's, what is uh, any comments from the panelists? And then we can go to some questions. Anything, I don't know if we thought there was anything profound in that. Is that anything that we didn't expect? I, I think it would tie it, Tom, right back into those folks that are learning as far as telework and org culture and the tools they're probably learning and, and leaning in on security rules too loosening up or or discussing and working through uh, folks being home and needing to be productive so okay um send in your questions uh we had some platform ones but I'll ask the same thing I asked Nick, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it. What has been the most surprising thing since pandemic hit that has changed that, that you've seen? What's been the most surprising thing? Is there anything that, you know, that, that sticks out? Uh, I'll tell you what, the what go ahead some of these, uh, some of the government services. And I, I think one of the lessons learned probably uh, across government will be around human-centered design and, mm -hmm. and uh, agility and speed of, of yeah. delivering on those services. The ability to change a website very quickly and make it easy to log into and um, uh, accessible to the public. In, in all those ways? I think we've seen a lot of that. I mean, look at the IRS. They've had like 550,000 concurrent users on their website, I think yesterday. 550,000. Uh, SBA, they had to stand up the uh, SBA loan program. Uh, massive amounts of, I think that's gotta be the new normal. You don't know if your agency, your agency might have to expand its capability on a moment's notice. So they need to have something that's gonna scale. And I think the technology Edward, part yeah. of it, and I, I think part of it will be the culture of being okay with that uncertainty and the flexibility around it. 
um, as opposed to wanting everything certain in permanent ink for the rest of the year, waterfall method. Uh, and, uh, and just the, the processes uh, around managing all of that effectively. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay, do we have any questions, Maddie, any more? Let's do one more poll. Let's hit the next poll. Here we go. I know, there we go. Oh, this is actually a pretty good one. Um, So we've got a lot of people participating. Let's see what we do here. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, time, if you don't mind me chiming in, because both John and Ed yeah. and I were talking about the power of platform. And, and back when I was in the intelligence community, post 9-11, uh, there was a yeah. particular uh, academic and author that uh, got a lot of traction on his thoughts. And they're probably as relevant today. I, I put it in the, the chat there. Clay Shirky's book, Here Comes Everybody, or Everyone, um, an interesting book, and he describes the, the, the power of uh, uh, platforms over things like email to uh, kind of highlight yeah. uh, Edward's comment there. I, I've been lucky enough to meet Clay. He's a very interesting guy. I haven't read, seen any of his books lately, so that's, that's a good takeaway. Okay, mostly the same. I, I'm surprised. I thought there'd be a lot more, more lenient. There hasn't really been that. Do you think that's encouraging or I think it's, maybe we already had it. Interesting. It's the 17% that made it more strict that it has me somewhat scratching my head. Yeah, how could you make it more strict? Hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, I think we're getting to the end of the hour. Is there some last thoughts? Can we go through the panelists? Um, this time we'll, we'll start off with you, John. So, you know, from where I'm sitting with what we do at GitLab, as far as the power of a platform and what we're doing to try to help organizations and agencies better serve their customers. I mean, we're, we're partnering with Nicholas and Nick and what he's doing at Platform One. We're, we, we're just happy and humble to be able to serve and to help everyone else build and deliver software and respond to this. So if you have any questions, I'd be glad to field, field those. But uh, thanks for the opportunity to share what we've learned. Yep, stay uh, cool down there, John. Will do. Uh, Edward? You know, if you want to go down this path and you really want to build things faster and, you know, leverage DevSecOps, you know, I think it's important to remember that just because you can build things faster doesn't mean you solve all your problems. Then you need to be able to react sure. faster. That's where Agile comes in. And then, you know, as you start using Agile, you're going to be using Agile with technologies. You need to be able to define what is good or bad with those technologies and put some rules in place or some guidelines. And once you do that, then you can start automating it. And that's when you start putting your DevSecOps pipeline in place, is once you have a good understanding of what is good with those technologies and is, are able to put those guardrails in place. And that, that's the evolution. And right now, if you know, your agency is struggling or you're trying to figure out ways to react faster, it's not about bringing in tools. It's about changing your process a little bit to be more reactive. And, you know, taking some of the things from Agile. You don't necessarily need to move from 
deploying like every three months, every week. Instead, you know, meet more frequently, see more of what you're building, get a better understanding so there's less surprises, so you can be more engaged. And then you can develop more and more capability around that. I, I think that's really the most important thing. Great. Thank you, Ed. Uh, Brian? Yeah, Tom, uh, I think what you're doing here, this sharing of lessons learned, is going to be critical. Um, there's going to be departments and offices and agencies that have gone through and maybe even got more productive um, that didn't feel as much pain. Others that felt quite a bit. Um, and I think it's going to be very critical to uh, spread those lessons learned, the failures, the successes, uh, the benefits of various work methods and technologies change. Uh, I work for technology transformation services and 18F, right? And, and I think this is uh, silver lining, maybe platinum lining in, in all of this uh, yeah. uh, is the opportunity to help push change. Because if folks were dragging their feet or pushing back, um, because they weren't comfortable with Agile or DevOps or cloud migration or adoption. Now's the time to describe what someone else was able to experience. And, and maybe it was less painful. Maybe it was, there was benefits uh, to remote work or whatever. Um, so I think we need to keep this conversation going um, to facilitate that yeah. uh, continuous need to modernize IT and government and uh, transform how we do things. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll put Brian and, and maybe that segues into, uh, we do have our working groups in DevOps. They're very, very active. I think we've got 80, 90 government people in them. Uh, we'll send out some information for follow-up for government and industry and how you can participate. I think those meetings are, have been very productive and we're just getting started uh, with this conversation. And uh, I wanna thank all the panelists. Thank you very much for your time. This has been a fun experience and uh, definitely thank you GitLab and John and, and the rest and Helen and uh, appreciate you guys making this uh, possible for us and appreciate the partnership. Thank you all. And, it, and the last thing is thank you for all the participants. Wonderful. You guys asked a lot of great questions, a very engaged crowd, and um, we look forward to more discussions in the future. Everybody have a good afternoon. Thank you.